Well, I might be happy today. Everybody eat too much turkey? Some of you. Some, some of y'all are anti-turkey people, aren't you? Who had brisket here? We got a few brisket folks. If you have some leftovers, you can drop it off. Anyways, it's been a good week for us. Uh, this has been a great, great day uh, to be in church. Uh, I'm so thankful for all of y'all who were able to come and participate with you. Brave that crazy wind we had this morning. I noticed most of your hair's not probably as fixed as it was about a, two hours ago, was it? <laughs> but yeah, we've had a good day. Uh, today we're going to have kind of a post-Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving sermon. Um, last week we talked about what unforgiveness could do uh, with your heart when it comes to being truly thankful. Today we are going to look at those who are examples of being truly thankful. Those are the redeemed of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, today we will look at Psalms 107. Now, if you've ever studied the Psalms, you may not have noticed this, or you may have noticed if you had studied, I can get past my own words here, that the Psalms are kind of organized. They're organized in certain manners and, and things like that, because we know in ancient Israel they, they use this book as kind of their, their hymn book. Well, well, if you've ever even looked at our hymn book, you know those days we used to call out numbers or had numbers published in our book. Um, have you ever noticed a Sunday to where the numbers weren't very different? It was like, man, the guy got lazy today or, or the, the gal got lazy today on picking. I mean, it's like, turn over two pages, what's that? I mean, that's kind of the way I used to do my quiet time. Drop the Bible, whatever page it opened up to, boom, there's your verse. But there was a reason why some Sundays those numbers didn't change much. is because someone took great care to organize our hymnals, the book of Psalms, in a way that was thematic, that was tied together in seasons of worship. Um, just look in the index or start noticing the tops of your hymnal pages, and it will tell you about different seasons that are there. It's tied together. They're not just a random collection of songs that we like to sing and worship. Now, some of you today may think that about our music today. It's changed a little bit, hasn't it, since your youth? Um, but we'd make great care in prayer and preparation for each service that we thematically stay together, that we try to bring you to the door of the holy the best way that we can. We try to give you some of the divine to let it inspire you and encourage you and rebuild you and refresh you in a way that as you leave these doors, you're ready to do battle. Because we live in a world that is hostile against us. That means to do us in. You just give them a chance and they will cut your feet right out from under you. And so we gather week after week, not because we have to, maybe because it's a little bit of habit, but the habit is good. We gather week after week so that we may be prepared to take Christ to the world because we are a special class of people. Yes, in the world of tolerance and everything goes, I want you to understand you are special if you have found Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you have something that the world does not. You have redemption. Because if you've gone out and shopped over this Black Friday weekend, you will know that the world needs some redemption, doesn't it? 
it needs a little bit of perspective. The world seeks things. The world seeks pleasures in the fleeting things of this world. You may have been proud of that bargain that you got. I, I love the truck commercials. Have you seen these? You know, it's the guy sipping his coffee, and then you see the other guy come in with, like, carrying the, the tent and all these kind of things. And he's like, yeah, I camped out, and I got this much money. He goes, huh, sips his coffee. Well, I saved thousands of points at his pickup truck. So how do we measure a success? Well, if we use the world standards, we are going to be scattered, just as the Tower of Babel. We are going to be sent to all corners of the world with no hope. We will be lost. But in Psalms 107, we find an answer to a question posed in Psalms 106. 47 and 106, I didn't put it up there, I wish I would have, so find your Bible if you don't have it or listen to me very well. It says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and your glory in your praise. Save us. Who will save us? The Lord. And then 107 we find in the first three verses, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Now, this is a different kind of confession. When we talk about confession and we talk about the ABCs, we first talked about confessing our sins. Because we know we are in need of a Savior. I think the world knows that it is broken. There are some that have not yet seen the errors of their ways, but those who have sought after the bargains, who have sought after the sins and the flesh of this world, they know that there is something off and that they need to be delivered from it. And us Christians, we have a message that says, All of you are sinners, you're bound for hell. Admit your sins. Admit your sins. That's what we say. That's what we've done. We've had decades where sermons were fiery and the preachers pounded on that pulpit. Repent, for you are a sinner in the hand of an angry God. He's ready to strike you down. Now, if we've looked at the history of the Israelites that gave us this songbook, this book of Psalms, that statement seems very true. Because when we tell people that we have the great book, this, this holy scripture, and that it is a guide for our life, if we look at the examples set forth in it, we don't really find great examples to follow. Study the Hebrews. Down in Egypt, slaves delivered by the mighty acts of God. But before that first generation could enter the promised land, they already had failed and were sent wandering in the wilderness. But after that generation had served their penance, God brought up a new uh, generation of leaders and brought them into a land, a land flowing of milk and honey. But they hadn't fully even conquered it before they started slipping in their old ways. But as they settled, uh, we became the, known as the period of the judges. They would do good for a while. They would be uh, enticed 
by the pleasures of the sales and all this kind of stuff of the world. And they would be led astray. And when they were led astray, God took his hand of protection off those children. And he let marauders and invaders and those who would do evil to his own children come in to punish him. But then they would hit their knees and they would cry out for deliverance. And God would send them a judge to bring them out, to bring them back to a people. And this goes on and on until we hit the kingdom, the period of the golden age, period of David and Solomon, of this united tribes, all 12 together. And it looked like things were going to go well. One generation starts slippery. Second generation starts slipping. Just read through the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You will see the history of the people. Under certain leaders, they thrived and did well. But the sins and the enticements of this world quickly strayed them away. They ended up losing because they had lost their, their Lord and Savior and gone after this world. Through their own power, they could do nothing. It was only through the power of God in their cities, in their towns, in their leaders, that they thrived. Then came the period of exile. And they were scattered, scattered among all the nations. But then God brought up a new power that allowed them to return, that allowed them to rebuild their temples, their places of worship, so that they may again resettle the land. And when they resettled the land, they thought they had it, but they knew something was missing. They had their temple, they had their worship, but the Romans now were in charge. And while they had their cities, it wasn't the same as they remembered through the stories of their ancestors. So they felt lost, and yet they were still scattered. There were those who never returned home, but were living in foreign lands. Then along comes a carpenter who took a young bride, and they had a son. His name was Jesus. And we celebrate that son every Sunday when we meet because this is the Lord's day. This is the day that marks that Jesus conquered death because he was raised on the third day. This is the day we were given life. This is the day we were given redemption. And so the story in Psalms goes on for a people who are looking for a Savior, have not yet found it, but they know that those are those who are redeemed. In verse 4, it gives us our first example. It gives us those who have wandered in the desert. Verse 4 says, Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hunger soul he fills with good things. This is the first example. In this Psalms, there are four examples, four stanzas that the people celebrate. Why four? Four directions, north, south, east, and west. The redeemed come from all over. In the book of Luke, 
you find when Jesus talks about that narrow way and how there will be some in their own kingdom to the Jews that have been with him, had ate with him, and drank with him. And on the day of judgment, when they knock at the door, the door will not be open, for they did not know the Son of Man, for they did not know Jesus. For there will be those who are poor and destitute and abandoned. They will find their way. And he will gather them from all four corners, from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. And they will be redeemed. They may not have found redemption in this life, but in a life to come, they will live in eternal glory forever and ever. And so we look back at our opening verse, at our introduction, and we find this one command, this one command to do something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so here's what we do today. We can look at the past and we can dwell it. We can look at others and see how they're not like us. We can see how they struggle with sins that we don't have problems with. And if they can't get that straight, they can't be part of us. But in these four examples... We find the one who wanders in a wasteland. We find the prisoner who is convicted of his own crimes, his own sins, the rebels. We find an example of the fool who is afflicted with sickness. And we find those at no fault of their own are plagued with stormy seas. These are the four examples it gives us. We all will fall in one of these. Because this is a story of complete redemption. For some of us, we have gone astray. We have wandered in the desert wastelands because we have been enticed by things that will not satisfy, with drinks that will not quench us thirst, with food that will never fill our bellies. For that is what the world offers. And that is the path many of us took before we found Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But if all we do is look out and say, these sins keep you from being here, you've missed the point of this psalm. For we are supposed to proclaim our redemption. It is not about other sins, for we know that they will fall into one of these categories because this is complete. It is about our redemption. And it is our redemption that we shout with gladness. For we all have a common call. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For that is the theme of this psalm and those to come. God's steadfast love for his children, for the redeemed, for those who have come from the north, from the south, and from the east, and from the west, who have come all over this place, who are gathered in, not those who were raised in a certain household, not those who brought up with the privilege of hearing these scriptures week after week, but those who have called on the name of the Lord to be rescued, those who realized that they were sinners and confessed of their sins and believed that Jesus Christ is their Lord and follow them all the days of their life. For that's a symbol of baptism. For we give up our life because we are dead and we are buried. And the life that we have on our own is nothing but death in the grave 
and worms that eat and destroy. But when we give up our life and we turn to Jesus Christ for redemption, we don't stay in the grave, but we are raised to walk a new life as a new creation in a new covenant. One that calls all of the redeemed, all of those who have cried out in their distress. For the penalty of sin is death, but before we reach death, it is affliction and oppression. It could be self-inflicted. It could be like those who took off on a journey and got lost. No one made them journey, did they? They could have gotten the directions and not have wandered. It is like those who are foolish, and because of their actions were stricken with illness and affliction. It is like those who pay for the penalty and are darkened in prison. But sometimes we imprison ourselves. It doesn't have to be an actual cell with brick and bars and dampness and cold. It could be the prison that we built, the prison of fear and doubt, one that keeps us from the path that we are laid on, that's laid before us. For there are physical afflictions, and those are the ones that eat us up on the inside. And those are the most dangerous ones. Because when it can't be seen by others, they fester and they dwell. And it's harder for the surgeon to cut them out because he doesn't see it. But we have a Redeemer. We have one that will lift us up, that will bring us... And there's one thing in common in all four of these scenes. Verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, and verse 8. They all repeat. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. Over and over it repeats this. This is the song of the redeemed. Don't dwell on the sins of others. Don't dwell on your past sins. Remember what God has done for you. For that is the call of this psalm. It is so that the redeemed of the Lord say, I was destined for death. That was the just punishment for my actions. For that is what justice is. It is getting what is owed to you. You know, we claim for justice. We want justice done to other people. But rarely do we want justice done to us. Because justice, there's black and white. There's no gray area. It doesn't matter if 99% of the time you did the right thing. Justice will inflict the penalty for that 1% of the time you did wrong. But we don't have to worry about justice on our own account because we have found redemption in Jesus Christ. That we admit to the times that maybe we're just 1% wrong and that we can't do it without him. He has bathed us in his blood and he has washed us clean so that we are 100% redeemed. That is what we claim. That is what we proclaim to others. That's what we proclaim to this world, the world that is hurting and lost has not found redemption. These are what we call on because we were one of these. 
that were cast either to the north or to the south or to the east or the west. We have now been gathered together. We have now been called one people. We are the people of the redeemed. And we claim that Jesus did it for us. You may not find fulfillment in those pleasures that you seek because they are empty. But if you are thirsty, let me introduce you to the one who can give you living water that will ever satisfy your thirst. If you are hungry, let me introduce you to the one that offers the bread of heaven because his body was broken on your account. This is what we proclaim. And if we want to impact our world, we let the Holy Spirit judge us sin, and we tell them what a great thing we have found. Because if you haven't come here today because you've experienced that great thing, let me introduce you to somebody that I know. His name is Jesus. He will make you whole. He will wash you clean. There is nothing that you have done that is too bad, that is too unforgivable. For he knows it all. He knew you when you were still in your mother's womb. He knew you the first two months of your life. He knew the life that would be laid out before you. He knew the day that if you chose him, he would walk there beside you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's knocking at the door. He's asking, let me come in. Let me take up residence. Let me be the one who can fill those empty places in your heart. That the drugs and the alcohol, that the pornography, that the lust and all that cannot fill. Because that is what the world offers. What Jesus offers is life and life in abundance. If we are redeemed, we should say so because we have been called from all the world, from all the people. There is no one who can escape this call, but there are a few who will find that narrow way and walk that path of their life because it seems too good to be true. It's like the junk mail that you get that says, you have won a million dollars or the spam that you receive. Did you ever hear about your uh, long-removed cousin in Nigeria who has left an inheritance to you? That's why the world wants to reject it. But it's true. It's the hardest and easiest thing you'll ever do. By confessing that you are in need and you can't do it on your own, and you turning your life over to Jesus you will find redemption. You will be gathered together with the others. And if you have come here today and you have found that redemption, rejoice with me and say, thank you, Lord, for your steadfast love. There's one other part of this psalm I'd like you to consider today. So verse 43. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If you want to leave here wise today, consider what it means to be loved with the steadfast love of the Father.
Consider what he has done for you. Consider your redemption. For this is why we have gathered week after week, so that we may be refreshed, that we may be given strength, that we may have the path laid out so clearly before us because of God's steadfast love for all of his children. So I encourage you, I challenge you, be wise today. You may not have been yesterday, and you may not be in the future, but be wise today. Consider God's love for you. And consider telling somebody else about that love. It's one of the easiest and hardest things that this world, that you can do. But you are the redeemed, so say so. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that you came down to earth, that you gave up your seat on the throne, that you took a humble form of a servant, and that you gave your life on our account. And Lord, we're also thankful that you called us into your life so that we may be your redeemed that we may live for you in a way that we could not before. It is in your name we pray. Amen.